Yahtzee! <laughs> That's what you just said. I say Yahtzee all the time. Welcome, Welcome to the, the Word podcast. On the podcast. I'm <laughs> I am Father Peter Buzzard. And I am Scott Powell. And this is an emergency session of the Lanky Guys. It is kind of an emergency <laughs> session. So, so I've been away for a week um, doing Good Leaders, Good Shepherds. And um, and Scott, I just got home. I just like I was unpacking my stuff and I was doing it in like a meditative way, thinking about all that's transpired over the last week. And Scott's like, podcast. And I'm like, oh, dude. I'm like, oh, so you, what did you do? You ditched, well, you ditched the heretics or something? Well, hold on, hold on. Let's back up. Let's take it a step back. <laughs> we had a discussion. You've been out of town. Back I said, up, when are we going to do the podcast? Back and you're like, up, oh man, up. I don't think I can do it. You know, I've got all this stuff going on. Maybe Friday. I said, our listeners are going to flip out and rage on us if we don't get up till Friday because you all will, which is okay. I'm glad that you love us. Well, and I was supposed to be on a sick call because there's a gal who's, di- who's dying. And so she wanted me to come today, but she has a doctor's appointment. So she was coming tomorrow. That's probably a good thing we're going to be doing. Anyway, so I was just going to do it solo. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just record the podcast solo. So it was last night I was teaching a class. I'm your Chewbacca. You're Han Solo. Ah. Uh, uh, but last night I was, some folks were asking me, they're like, oh, is the podcast going to be shorter this week than it was last week? And I was like, well, actually, you know, I'm, I'm recording it solo this time. And they all just looked at me and were like, oh, that's great. And then Scott like, said, then Scott sent me a text and he said, he said, um, he says, dude, I'm not funny. And I was like, I was well, like, I'm the straight man on this podcast. I think <laughs> I, I'm trying to deduce <laughs> it. I, I think I'm the straight guy. I think straight you are, man. <laughs> I think you are. You, you play it that way, man. But this is the thing is Scott is always busting me up. And, uh, in real life, Aww. the podcast is real life Aww. though too. You the bust podcast, me up. This is real life. But I'm way funnier. So um, the, I'm way funnier, fine, fine, funnier with somebody than alone. Well, I think everybody is. Because I make jokes to myself, and then I don't laugh. I wouldn't even make jokes to myself. It would just be a straight... So you made, once made... So this podcast started because I was giving these little reflections on the readings and sending them to Father Peter, and yeah. Father Peter at one point said, these stink because you're not interesting. <laughs> Let's have a conversation. <laughs> so I, that just kept replaying in my mind. I was like, well, they're great. This is going to be terrible. So yeah, I ditched an appointment I'm supposed to be at. Talking to Lutherans, and I'm here at doing an emergency record, emergency Easter octave recording of the podcast. So it is actually Thursday, three sixteen. Normally, we're posted by this time. Have we gotten any emails from Not complainers yet? But I'll get this up as soon as I can. So all you complainers, just sit in your seats. Yeah, that's okay. Everybody we're, wants it for their Friday morning commute, which is actually which is really fine. cool. I like that, and I respect that. I believe in that. So we are on Divine Mercy Sunday. Yo, it's Divine Mercy Sunday. Father's been rapping for the last 20 it's minutes. It's kind of cool. It's fun day. That's good. I tried to re- rhyme like Divine Mercy, but like all I came up with was um, Walker Percy. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Why but didn't you use it? Because I came up with it as I was just saying that right now. The key, okay, this is the key in life. Is, <laughs> in life. Okay. Is being able to say things mm-hmm. from your mouth. Yep. <laughs> while things are happening in your brain, feeding those things that are in your mouth. Is that happening right now? Yeah. Uh, you know, Mike Birbigli, he has like a, he has a comedy routine and he's, he's like, you know, most people, they have an on deck place in their brain where their ideas that, and they put them on deck and they prepare them to see if they're the right one to come up. He says, I don't. He's like, <laughs> he just like starts talking and he's like, oh, <laughs> like, I don't think most people oh, have an on deck. Please, oh no, that just <laughs> oh, was sad. Oh, geez. Well, there's mercy for him. 
Get it? See what I did? There? Oh, and it's divine. It's divine mercy. So, and, and it's a significant day because um, uh, JP two is going to be Sancta JP two. <laughs> blessed John Paul. Ble- Saint. Blessed John, John Paul. Paul. Saint. Saint Blessed John Paul. That's a really weird title, dude. I don't even know what to do with you. <laughs> 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 I'm sure he's listening to this from he, heaven. He is. Oh, is blessed Saint John Paul. Pray for us. Pray for us. <laughs> what was that? The, I just I crossed myself no, next to the microphone. Sort of. It was kind of like to the left. It was like it was kind of like the center right. was my left shoulder. That's all right. Um, but no, he's Saint Saint, uh, Saint John Paul the Great. Yeah, I mean, and when yeah. do you get the great title? I mean, I know you get. There's like a ceremony for the. Oh the, really? The Saint. Title. Oh, for the Saint title, yeah. But when? I mean, like people just started calling him that. Yeah, dude. I think he's great. But there are saints with actual greats in their title, right? Yeah. Pope Leo the Great. It's always kind of graded on me. <laughs> oh, very good. See, I couldn't do that on my own. All right. Our first reading for this great and very important Sunday is, is from the Acts of the Apostles, Felling Trees. Acts. Get it, everybody? Dude, every time, I, once you once you get it in your brain, man, it never leaves. The yeah. Acts of the Apostles. I want Acts. the Acts of the Apostles. Like, I want a big fell battle axe. I will get you one. Okay, thank you. Okay. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Then we have a responsorial psalm. 118, 2 through 4, 13 through 15, and 22 through 24. And the responsory is coming from the first verse of the psalm. Second reading is from First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. I like that book. It's a good book. Because it's, it's got my name in it. Mm-hmm. It also gets ignored a lot. So Do I always like books that are ignored. Sometimes I give people like first or second Peter for penance. They're like, I didn't think there was a book called that. And then I'm like, what's up? Mm. Mm. Our gospel reading <laughs> comes from John, <laughs> verse 20, or chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. That is a good, that's a good part of the gospel. It's a good part. It's toward the end. Yeah. Which is, is appropriate. But I have to say, um, I believe that my favorite parts of any book are the introductions. The very first part is always my favorite. Really? Yeah. Any book or, or biblical books? No, actually, biblical books don't count for that at all because really the ending is always the best. <laughs> what? I don't know what I'm talking about. Dude, I'm <laughs> slap happy. You don't even know. I that. love it. I'm so happy. I've though. gotten like no sleep over the last two days. I've been in a, a workshop which points out all of my managerial weaknesses <laughs> oh, and then gives me opportunities to like do things really better. Oh, that's good. But then it was after the Easter vigil and after the Tudum and like. And like, and then I came back for confirmation. So I drove like four hours yesterday through a snowstorm. And like, you I, did? Oh yeah, I did. There was a snowstorm yesterday. Yeah, no one knows about it except for me in the backwoods with my brights. And if you've ever tried to drive through a snowstorm with your brights on, Wait, it's did like, you have uh, your motorcycle? That, no, I came. Well, I mean, when I came down, but then oh. when I came back up, yikes, yipes, yikes, Cerulio. All right. So that being said, let's uh, snap to it. So we're in let's it. let's let's act. Properly now. Act on this. On this reading, not just being a hearer of it. Mm. So Acts chapter two. This is um, this is great. In a certain sense, the readings are taking us backwards in time. Does that make sense? (laughs) Does that that make sense? It was my sunglasses. I dropped them. Oh, okay. No big deal. No big deal. Everything's accentuated on a microphone. I can't (laughs) even drop my sunglasses without everybody on earth, four thousand of you hearing it. Um. Could you imagine? Just let's just pretend for a second that there's four thousand people in front of us, and we're doing this. Like that, that that would hi be everybody. Hi everybody. Hello, lanky guys, audience. What's up? Cool. 
Okay, that's good. Now I'm ready. F- now I'm ready for the podcast. <laughs> I wish I was slap happier. I mean, I can slap you <laughs> if that would make you happy. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Well, okay. what I love about uh, Axe right here is that's that this this is um uh, a really cool evidence that we can use um, when talking to people about the Eucharist because it says they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, yes. which is which is um which is tradition and to the communal life. Yeah. Which is saying that there is an actual kind of visible community r- community that's a existing. body, yes. And then the breaking of the bread, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. Yeah. So I get the breaking of the bread part, but what are the prayers that they pray? In? Uh, the uh, they're a community of praise and petition. They pray for one another and others. I think. Or, and do you I, think I, that they are praying the Psalms? Kind of like Jesus was praying the Psalms, like in some ways, like imi- imitating Christ as he was kind of going through his life praising the Psalms. I don't know. I don't either. Do you think I'm that, sure there was a part of it. Do you think that they were going into the synagogue and doing like the prayer, the, the kind of the devotional life of this uh, of uh, the temple and the synagogue? Yeah, it says so. So read on. So they both devoted themselves to the So again, this is describing the early church. Again, we're going to go backwards in time sort of. We're getting what the church is like. We're going to go backwards to just prior to Pentecost in gonna the gospel. Going to go back reading. in time. I am do 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 do. Is it the 60s or 1999? <laughs> uh, that was good. If Thanks. you're not slap happy, you did it that well. Thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, so they devoted themselves to the apostles, the communal life, the breaking of the bread into prayers. Awe came upon everyone. Awe. Aww. Came upon everyone, and many <laughs> wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They would sell their property and possessions, possessions and divide them among each according to his need. So this is pre uh, pre deluge pre um uh, deluge? not deluge um a destruction of the temple. Oh, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we know that specifically because um, they met. It says each day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. In, excuse me, in the, in the temple area, and to breaking bread in their homes. Um, there's something interesting about the temple thing because you asked if they if they would do this in the temples and synagogues. Clearly, they did. Which I think that it raises a really important point about Christianity in general. Mm. Um, for the first Christians, there was no separation between the Israel of the Old Testament and the Israel of the New Testament. And I think it's really important that they point this out. So there's no understanding among the apostles and these believers that, okay, well, we're Christians now. We follow Jesus. Therefore, the temple system's done. The old priesthood, that's gone. We're starting a new religion now. No, there's no sense of that. They're simply imitating what Jesus did while they're still going to the temple and the synagogue and actually acting like Jews. So, which is a very important point, though. Now, all that's going to, you know, they're, they're, that's going to change as time goes on. Yeah. But there is still no sense. And, and I think for the scriptures, for St. Paul, for the whole life of the church, there's not a sense. I was teaching on 1 Corinthians last night, and there's a point in chapter 10 where Paul, the Corinthians were, were mainly pagans. They were mainly non-Jewish. And there's a point in the text where Paul calls Moses their father and the people of the time of the Exodus, our fathers. And it was an important point, though, because for Paul and for the early church, there's no old Israel, new Israel. There's not a new body of believers and an old body of believers. There is simply the continuity of the people of God. Some of those people of God failed to believe in the Son whom he sent. Some of us believed and many like Romans says were grafted on to the ancient family that's existed from the beginning but we're not a new Israel properly speaking 
And there was no sense among the church that, okay, we're starting a new religion now. No, this is the fulfillment of Judaism. This is the fulfillment of our Hebrew faith. The Messiah has come. Let's act accordingly. Mm. Not we're starting a new religion. Yeah. You know, does that make sense? I, but I think it's a really important point, though, because I think we misread history on that point. Yeah, I think that's a really The Old Testament point. is our history. The, the, you know, the, the faith of our fathers, the covenants, the patriarchs, the Exodus story, all this stuff. This is our tradition. It's not somebody else's tradition or some other tradition that we think about from time to time. It's our people. It's our story. And we're a part of that story. Yeah. But I think this, this speaks to that a little bit. It also, um, I think this is a very difficult passage to read in modern America, maybe. I mean, think about what, it, what this is saying. It's saying that the apostles, that well, all the believers, they shared everything that they owned. They had it in common. They'd sold their property to feed anybody among them who was poor. I mean, they're, it's communal living. It's a big commune in a certain sense, right? It sounds kind of hippy-dippy. They're, they're selling their stuff. They're feeding the people around them. If somebody has a big house, he's going to give it up to have a smaller house so that everybody can have a house. And they're, I mean, this is an amazing thing. And this is the sort of faith that actually converted the most hedonistic empire the world had ever seen. The Roman mm-hmm. Empire would become Christian not too long after this because they actually saw Christians who literally would sacrifice of themselves and sacrifice their lives and their goods and their well-being to care for the rest. And that's a profound witness that I think we miss. We don't mm. get that anymore. No, we don't. Again, I was talking about that last night in regards to Corinthians because the people in Corinth were having a really hard time sacrificing anything. They didn't want to give of their finances. They didn't want to separate their old ways of life. They didn't want to give anything up for the sake of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul's saying, you're missing the boat. You're missing what the faith actually is. Look at the early church. And it goes on at the end of this. It says, every day the Lord was adding to the number of those who were being saved. Mm. Their numbers were growing exponentially every single day. Why? Because they were living a radical lifestyle that everybody wanted. There's something profound. Remember that, that, uh, maybe I'll put it on our Facebook site, but there's a great, uh, one of my favorite quotes is, um, it's a letter from uh, a Roman historian named Aristides to the Roman emperor Hadrian. So during Hadrian's reign, a little while after this, Hadrian sent this, this lawyer, this historian out among the Christians, among these believers. And he basically said, I want you to spy these people out to find out whether they're a threat to the empire or not. I don't know anything about them. Yeah. And so he went and he sent back this report. Do you remember this? No. And he, I, I wish I had it in front of me, but he basically says, this is these people, they, they'll fast for days or weeks at a time to feed somebody if they don't have enough food. They'll give them the shirt off their back. They sacrifice for one another. They visit the imprisoned. You know, they'll, they'll pull their resources. They give them themselves. And he ends by saying, truly, this is a new kind of person. There is something divine in these people. And I just don't know if that's the church that people look at today and see when they look at us. Mm, yeah. Would that it was, because that's the church that changed the world. And I think we can do it again, but I think we need to look at how they did it in the first place. Yeah, I, That's I, what I think of when I read all this. I just, uh, I just watched the movie Easy Rider again. Did I just see where this goes? Yeah, yeah. well... Um, they, you know, what I mean, as as uh, as they're going through, they're they're going, they're motorcycling through the country, and they end up at some hippie communes. Yeah, and kind of like the the distortion of what a commune is, like like as you start to talk about that, like like, but then what is the other ideal? It's a bunch of monks and nuns. Like there's th- there is there is a certain sense in which I mean, it's not a bad to right. own, it's not a bad to own private property. No. No, of course not. But there's yeah, let some, me be clear about but that. But there's something excellent 
about that that kind of self-emptying right. willingness to provide for another. A willingness to, what are you willing to give? Yeah. What are you willing to strip yourself of and sacrifice? Willing to hold in common. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. That's, that's actually really exciting. It's being able to say like, hey, yeah, you could take my motorcycle out. I got no problem with that. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about it. Again, I taught Corinthians last night, and it was that passage about the meat eating. Remember that? Uh-huh. There's this situation in Corinth that some of the Christians are being misled because there are some of the leaders who are eating this meat that had been sacrificed to idols, but they're saying, hey, we don't really believe in idols. They don't exist, so it doesn't. I can do whatever I want to because I know better. I'm well-formed. I'm well-catechized. I made a moral decision that meat offered to idols is actually offered to nothing, so I'm going to eat it. But there's other Christians who are less well-formed that are being scandalized by that. And Paul makes this point. He's like, if there's any chance that my eating something might scandalize someone for whom Christ died, he says, I will never eat meat again for the rest of my life. Which is a pretty big thing to sacrifice. But he's saying it's not about our rights. It's, you know, meat is fine. It's it's your right to do what you want because you have freedom in Christ. What are you willing to give up for the sake of another, though? For the sake mm. of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you're not willing to give up anything, then I think we have a problem. I think that's Paul's point. And that's what we learn here. Yeah. That's what that's all I got. That's good. That's uh, all we need. Okay. Well, then let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to give up my opinion about what uh, you just said. Oh. Okay, maybe I won't give it up. Okay. I thought what you just said was wonderful. Well, it's it's just a great it, it's we're eight days after Easter, and we're getting an insight into what the church looks like shortly after the resurrection. We're still living, I mean, liturgically, we're still living in the glow of the resurrection. We're on the eighth day of the octave. We're seeing in the readings then the glow of the church still in the basking in the glow of the resurrection. What did that actually look like? You know? Yeah, and it's, what's cool is notice how there's a connection to the fasting of, of before and the actual then the life that's lived now is that they're free now mm. to engage with what they have. Yeah. So it's huh. it's it's not that they're they're constrained or they're not using things. No, they're really using things, but they're right. not but they're not addicted or hooked, which is like kind of where we, sh- we could be ideally yeah. at the end of Lent is we're, that we're just like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, come or go. Uh, I'm relaxed." Yeah. That's kind of cool. You know, let me share. That's kind of cool. I like it. I'll hook you up. Psalm 118 verses. So give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His okay. love is ever. Oh, it is. It is? That's good. Okay. See how I was just like personalizing? Oh, that's good. Yeah, I was just letting it, I was just letting it like like imbue itself into my... Imbued. I am imbued with the scriptures. So I was reading uh, the commentary that we both like, Patrick Henry Reardon, Reardon. on the Psalms. It's about the only one. <laughs> yeah, there's not many. I mean, there's, there's a few. But there's stuff. There's stuff. But I like this one. But he was... Uh, this is just a commentary, just talking about the Psalms. But he was saying traditionally, especially in the East, Psalm 118 was always a psalm tied with the, the, the Passover, tied with the Pascha, and really with Easter. It's always traditionally been tied together with Easter. Oh. And the insight that he put with this, um, you know, it, it's traditionally sung uh, in Sunday morning matins, especially in the East and in the West too. But he talks about, you know, how every Sunday morning is supposed to be filled with the surprise of Easter again. Um, and, you know, the, we, he quotes Luke 24, right? A certain company of our women, they arrived at the tomb early in the morning and him they did not see. What's the response to that? Give thanks to the Lord for his, for he is good. His love is everlasting. Mm. Oh, his tomb was empty. Let the house of Israel say his mercy endures forever. 
Oh, there was nobody there. He had risen. Let the house of Aaron say his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his mercy endures forever. It's actually traditionally by the church. It's been used as the response to the testimony of the women. Oh, that's what you saw. Give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever, which is a neat way to read that. I think Yeah, a wisdom of the church to put it today. I heard of a tradition in the, in the East, uh, that, uh, on Monday of the, of the octave, oh, no. that um, men go and douse women with water. What? Oh yeah, yeah, really? be, yeah. Because in imitation of the apostles who didn't believe the women who came back from the tomb, and then on Tuesday, all the women douse the men with water. Yeah, is this true? Oh is yeah, that, yeah, is yeah, that really a tradition? The, yeah, this is from Father Michael O'Laughlin was telling me about what? this. Yeah, the Grandins, awesome. the Grandins came up to me and told me to dump a, uh, a cup of water on on, uh, on Unsu- his head. Some unsuspecting. On, on Father Michael O'Laughlin, and, and he was he, he was like, dude, it's not Tuesday anymore. Man. <laughs> He's like, that, that only happens on Tuesday. That's hilarious. I know. What a great tradition. <laughs> and so you got this. Wow. Yeah. So it's like this this like demonstration of unbelief, and then the return of what <laughs> that means. Slap in the face. Yeah. Wow. Well, anybody named Thomas, we can pour water on Uh-oh. today. But yeah. Oh yeah. But you have to like wait for a minute until we get through the. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, sorry. Okay. So First Peter. Um, <laughs> first Peter again. It doesn't get talked about very much. We. It is ironic. You talked about the uh, introduction to books. This comes immediately after the introduction. Anything you want to say about this? Oh, First Peter, the first Peter of my life. Oh, I, am I your first friend named Peter? No, but you're my only current friend named Peter. Okay. I don't think I know any other. Shoot, I probably have some really good friend named Peter who's listening to this and thinking, what a jerk. No, I, I don't think. When I was a little kid, mm-hmm. I had a good friend named Peter Million. No. Oh. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know. If he you're made, listening. He made millions. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> ah. um, yeah. um, Father Kevin Augustine's favorite, um, his, his first Peter is me. But his second Peter is uh, Peter Kemester, who's Victorine, who's kind of the Scott Hahn of the 12th, 12th century. Oh, oh, yeah, he's not. I was like, how do I know that guy? Because <laughs> he's in the 12th century. Yep. Oh, yeah, it's nice that you trump him. I do. I trump That's a big Peter deal. Kemester. That's his dissertation that you trump. I know. Bring it on, man. Bring it. Bring it. That's okay. what I say to Mr. Peter Kemester. Yeah, take that, Peter Kemester. Or Scott Hahn, for that matter. Oh, good. I'd wrestle Scott Hahn. You want to know why? Why? Because <laughs> I, I would win because he's so nice that I don't think that he would bring the. I don't think he'd bring the hurt. I see he's got some feistiness. He's ornery. Yeah, he can make a way better pun than me. I want to get in a pun he war. Could, he with would Scott Hahn. He would beat you. He would beat me. He would definitely <laughs> roundly beat actually. Yeah. Unfortunately, no, and you're better for it. You should, <laughs> you should let him win that Dude, one. Dude, I let's get Scott Hahn on the lanky guys. He's not very lanky. Oh, he isn't, is he? Yeah, that's okay. But he's holy. He's holy. He's a good man. He's a good man. I took a class from him when I was an undergraduate at Steubenville. And and he schools me every time I listen to him. Is that a pun? No. Okay. Was it supposed to be? No. Okay. <laughs> Are you sure? It was just a play on words. Okay. So kind of a pun. Yeah. Okay. Um, first Peter. A little little bit of background on First Peter. Background. Written by Peter, the first pope. Um, in pope. Cha- yeah. In chapter 5, it actually, uh, Peter uh, says that he's writing from Babylon, which is not true. It, it was not, <laughs> he's not actually writing from Babylon, <laughs> but that confuses people a lot of times. It's not literally a reference to Babylon, uh, the one in Mesopotamia. It's a figurative reference to Rome. Peter was in, everything all right? Mm-hmm. Peter was in Rome at the time. 
And remember, Rome was the imperial capital. There would often be a be a the imperial capital. Come on. <laughs> I like how far you're taking it, man. You're just <laughs> that's, like... that's where humor comes. It's, it's <laughs> taking something too far. Oh, here's a joke. Do you want to hear a joke? Yeah. I heard this on the radio. Okay. Um, ask me the secret to good comedy. Mm. What's the secret? Timing. To... <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, anyway, so Peter's in Rome. In well, the he's empire. Writing. He's in the imperial capital. <laughs> and he's writing what it says in, in verse one to the exiles. Um, of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen and destined by God the Father, sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Christ Jesus and of the sprinkling of his blood. I was going through a little study this morning on kind of some of the the, the grammar. I was going back to the original Greek. Um, it's fascinating. He says, uh, well, let's see. What is the RSV? I was saying the RSV, but I didn't see what the N. Oh, it's actually not here. But my translation says to the exiles of the dispersion. What it actually says in the Greek is that it's written to the chosen exiles who are destined by God into the sanctification of the Spirit. So their being chosen to be exiles, to be suffering in a certain sense, is for their su- sanctification. So he's writing a letter from Rome to people who he says are chosen by God to be suffering for the sake of their own sanctification. Which is it's just kind of an interesting uh, background. And, yeah. and way of looking at this book. So he's giving them a word of hope. And he begins the book with what's called a Berakah blessing, a traditional blessing for him. And, and he begins by saying, this is where we get our reading. It's in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born anew. Um, which the Greek word literally means to regenerate or to be caused to be born again. That's where the term born again really comes from. Have we been born again? We've been born again through baptism. What is our baptism? It's our dying with Christ and then rising with Christ, which again, that uh, we sometimes look at the second reading as though it's kind of a wild card reading, but it, it, it so perfectly fits. It can't be, you can't understand the early church and why they're living the way that they're living, even though they're about to face tremendous persecution, yeah. unless you understand what First Peter is saying. Why are... Why can a group of people that are actually going to be suffering under imperial persecution, which they're about to be an act of the apostles, how can they be living these joy-filled, blessed, amazing lives? Well, it's because they're chosen to suffer for their sanctification, and they're blessed because of their regeneration. They've been born again with Jesus Christ because they've died with him. And he goes on, um, you're regenerated by faith, uh, into his great mercy, he gave you new birth to living hope through his resurrection from the dead, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept kept in heaven for you. How do you, um, what do I say about this? How does the early church have the hope that it does? I mean, even when the emperor Hadrian is asking about these Christians, I mean, these are people that are getting beat up. They're getting persecuted by all sorts of different groups, from the Romans to the Jewish people who are their own family members at time. How do these people have the kind of joy that they have? Well, first Peter gives the answer. I mean, if and we all suffer to various degrees. I mean, we all feel like we have this culture that's kind of out to get us and the government and everything else. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what's the worst thing that somebody can do to you? What's the worst thing that could ever happen to you? Kill you. You could be killed. What does our Christian faith teach? No big deal. No big deal. You're coming back. Yeah, you already died in Christ. You already died in Christ. You've risen the again. The life you live is no longer your own. There is nothing you can anybody can do to you. 
to get you. You're still, it's still going to hurt. It's still going to be painful at times. You're still going to feel it, but there's nothing to be afraid of. You've got this inheritance, like Peter says, that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Mm. Nothing can touch you. You're afraid of losing your property so that you can feed somebody else. You're afraid, you know, what if you don't have enough money later on? Doesn't matter. Nothing can touch you anymore. Give freely. Live freely. Be free. Do what Christ is calling you to because mm. nothing can get you anymore. This is where true Christian hope lies. True Christian hope is um, beat up when we feel like we have to circle our wagons, that they're going to get me or they're going to take my stuff or they're going to do fill in the blank to me, which if you are putting your treasure there, then your heart is going to go along with it. Mm. Anyway, that that's what I'm hearing when I'm reading this, but I'm trying to read it in light of the other readings, especially in light of the first reading. I mean, this, is, this, I think, ties into the Gospel of John in our Gospel reading today, too. This is the struggle, right, that's going on. Yeah. Man, you're on fire. Yeah, these are my thoughts. Does that make sense? Yeah. I didn't know what I was going to say about First Peter coming in today. Well, I so know I'll what you that. just did say. All I had to say was grammar about two verses that wasn't in the reading for today. <laughs> anyway. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, I used to think about. I mean, whenever metal is is mentioned, I always think about you know, <laughs> you know gold and stuff. Uh, no, it's true. Yes, I just. I, but you always. I always feel like gold, cool. <laughs> I like metal and scriptures. Mm. But mm. I mean, it, it's just it's trying to take the highest element of creation. Yes. and saying when it is totally refined and beautiful and pure. Even though it says it says your faith is going to be comparable to the most valuable and uh, precious summit of creation itself. Yes, and that's really where we that's what we work on, and yes. we try to we try to just allow ourselves to be totally faithful because when we do, we get to live this blessed joyousness. That's it. I mean, in a undivine mercy Sunday, that's what we're trying to engage and draw people into. That's it. Is to this precious life of being able to live whole. And it's also, I mean, again, the canonization of John Paul II, which is happening today, this is sort of his life in a certain sense. I mean, John Paul lost everything. His whole family, his parents, his siblings, everybody he loved died at some point or another. He lived through the war. His parents died. His father got sick after he survived. He died as well. I mean, John Paul lost it all. Mm. But look at the tremendous joy that he actually lived his pontificate mm. with. And his constant refrain, be not afraid. The first words out of his mouth when he became pope, do not be afraid. If anybody that had something to be afraid of, it was this guy. But he said, you know what? I lived through it. It didn't, help. It didn't kill me. There's nothing they can take from me. And that's something I, I do see about his life, right? This is partially why he is such a profound example to us. Yeah. Because there was nothing they could take from him. They tried. The evil one tried to strip everything from him. Yeah. Be not afraid. Anyway, and yeah, and and look at the the fruit that the the, fruit. the, the antagonistic fruit of mm. having had taken everything taken. Yeah, the fidelity that was born from that. Yeah, that's it. And like they, that's a, that's like it's cray cray. That is, cra- <laughs> dude. So as Pope John Saint John the Twenty Third said, "Yo, do this cray cray, dude. That's cray cray." That's. I don't feel like I'm giving enough credit to. Soon to be St. John the 23rd. I know, man. Talk about getting much o- about overshadowed. I, I mean, know. Like, that's such a tough like, break. It's like, it's like double Pope's time. Such and, a tough and the dude's, break. I mean, like incorruptible. I know. He's an incorruptible bro. Well, John, might, John Paul might be too. We don't know. Hasn't we don't been know. That long. 
Yeah. Well, the, here's they do have to dig him up though for the canonization process, don't they? Uh, probably, but he was just a pine box. Is that a pun? <laughs> Did no. I miss the pun? <laughs> no, I don't know if they buried him even. They probably did. I, would you bury JP two? I wouldn't bury JP two. What would you do with him, dude? You just like put him in a sarcophagus or something that you can roll back the stone, man. Dude, <laughs> forsake the dirt, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, dude, they knew what was gonna happen. They saw the writing on the wall. <gasps> oh man. D- yeah, I know. I just dropped sarcophagus, man. <laughs> I don't like, know why I'm so happy I, about it. It just it, delighted me. Yeah. All right. Well, sarcophagi aside. Um, we have a, we have the first day of the week on an evening. What's the first day of the week? That's uh, that's Sunday. Which Sunday was this? This was the first Sunday after the disciples have been uh, in the resurrection. So this is like the eighth day of the octave of Easter. So it's actually the first Sunday after the Jesus rose from the dead. So this is Sunday afterwards, right? No, on the evening <laughs> that first day of the week, the that is key. Oh, so this is the, this is the night of the day of the resurrection. Yeah, it's Easter evening. Oh, for Rizzle. For, for, for Rizzle. For Rizzle. But John dude. wants to make that clear to you on the evening of that first day of the week. Yeah, I was just not kind of, the first day, but I, that one. I was just like thinking about the fact that we were a week away, and I was like, I was trying to make it coincide, and that that gives you, you the idea of my would. scholarship. Of course, no, this you is an emergency it, session of the lanky guys. So right. I didn't study the readings. I'm no, sorry. Okay. Just bring out. Okay, you're great. You're, you're great. great. No, you're, you're great. great. Thanks. No, you're great. Awesome. You guys are great. I'll be up with us. Yeah. I can't believe people listen to this. I can't sometimes. believe people listen to this. Yeah, I know. Like, Every single week. Like, How do you guys deal with it? I don't I kind of, I mean, like, I tried to listen to the Easter Vigil podcast, by the way. <laughs> oh, you did? I didn't. And, and I went back and I was like, I was like, dude, that was long. <laughs> I was, was like, real long. That was like really long. My, Neil called me and he was like, dude, that was really long. Oh, I hope we didn't lose people. Dude, guaranteed we lost everybody, dude. No, but I mean for good. I hope you come back this week. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah, that <laughs> was the I'm passion. Out. It was the passion. It's and true. now it's the resurrection. Yeah. So that first is, day of the week. There is mercy this Sunday. Oh, and it's divine. And it's divine. Okay. On that first day of the week, so it's Easter Sunday night, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and served the midst. We've talked about this before. John yep. has a code word that he uses when he says, for fear of the Jews. By the way, who's gathered in that upper room? Jews. A bunch of Jews. So he's not anti-Semitic. Let's get that out of our minds, everybody. He uses this sort of code for people who, uh, the unbelieving... Um, throng. Throng of... of uh, angry leadership. Uh, angry leadership. <laughs> who religi- crucified Jesus. Yeah, the religious leadership that crucified Jesus. Again, they're Jews. Oh, but Jesus came and he stood in their midst. And he said to them, "Peace be with you." So and close. they said, "With your spirit and with your spirit." No, no, he didn't. Is that not didn't funny. Say that was funny. No, it wasn't. And he said, "Peace <laughs> be with you." When he had said this, he showed his hands <laughs> and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. <laughs> that now, one had a delayed fuse. I'm sorry. I'm still finding that funny. No, you're not. Okay. Really? Sh- yeah, that wasn't showed, funny though. He showed the hands and the side. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, we, I don't know if we talked about this before. I, I I get sick of myself hearing myself speak because I've talked about this a lot in the past, like in talks and things. I don't know if you guys have ever heard it before, so I'll say it anyway. What's the weirdest thing about this scene? Um, to you, well, I'll tell you what the weirdest thing for me is. The weirdest thing about this is, uh, is like he, he, Jesus is pretty nonchalant, you know? Yeah, that's weird. I mean, like 
he stood in their midst like he's been through a lot yeah yeah like everybody's <laughs> like talking is, was he just like leaning against the wall or were they all sitting down and he was like hey peace be with you and everybody's like what, what? he's just like he's like phantasmagoria kind of thing he is okay okay you tell me what you think is weird because well, like no uh, you're right jesus rose from the dead but then he goes and breathes on them well yeah i mean that's yet. that's kind of always been weird to me <sighs> he will breathe on them but think about this for a second he's okay that's good. You have good lungs. Thank you. So he's risen from the dead. Okay. He's got a glorified body that can pass through walls and lock doors. Yep. The people on the road to Emmaus don't even recognize him because he's so changed and glorified, right? Yep. Glorified body. Yeah. He has a glorified, resurrected, perfected body, right? Yep. That has what? Clothes on it? No. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did he show them? Wounds. Wounds. Think about it. Glorified body. Resurrected. Perfected. Still got a bunch of big gaping holes in it. Isn't that kind of weird? I mean, think about that. It's I mean, the glorified I'm, I'm like body. So, I'm so used to it. We're so used to it because we've heard this a million times. Yeah, yeah. But his body is perfected. And he has the hole. He retains the holes. Why? Isn't that kind of weird? Why, if you were going to design a glorified, perfected, completed body, would you retain a bunch of big, gory, ugly, bloody holes? I mean, I go back to his words, and it says, uh, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. Mm. I don't know. Maybe, no, I th- maybe because it's it, it's really the sign of love. But isn't it weird? It is weird. I agree. Isn't it, isn't it a little bit weird? I mean, I think, that, I think well, that's exactly it. And it's this idea, it goes back to First Peter in a certain sense. Um, we don't believe in the kind of God that's just going to show up and wipe away all your problems and get rid of all your sufferings and take away all your baggage and everything's great. He doesn't do that, right? We don't have the God that's just going to say... Which, I mean, which, come on, let's be honest. Isn't that's that what a, we all that, want? That's a big bummer. But what we have is the, the Lord from the road to Emmaus, your favorite passage. What does Jesus say in the road to Emmaus when he's showing the disciples... All the things that had to happen to the Lord. He says, was it not necessary that the Lord suffer all of these things and enter into his glory? He doesn't Um, say, oh, you're not going to suffer. But, you know, we have this line that we say that the Lord brings good out of evil. I hate that line. (laughs) I hate it so much. Because when we say the Lord brings good out of evil or bad situations, it just suggests that there's these terrible situations. And the Lord's going to kind of step in at the last minute and just bring a silver lining out of it. As though he wasn't in control of the whole thing from the very beginning. As though he just sort of knows, oh, shoot, somebody's in a bad situation. Let me go bring some good out of it. Well, which, which is actually interesting because um, the beginning of my thesis on the road to Emmaus, the first, the first argument was that they were in a lack, um, that, that the main problem was a problem of a lack of meaning. Mm. Yeah. Because I mean, essentially, that, that that's what we say is like it's like uh, mm. oh yeah, God just steps in and he creates a meaning at the last moment. Right, but that's baloney. But no meaning is imbued in it at what all. What a terrible God to believe in! Just one that steps in at the last minute and brings some good in. He's like, oh yeah, sorry, sorry we'll just, about that. We'll flippity flop. But that's I think the point of the holes is to show he's not just going to wipe away the pain. He's going to take the pain and the suffering and transform transform them, transform Ten, them and glorify them. them. That's why we hang crosses on our wall. 
Yep. Because he's taken a sign of death and not said, look, forget about the cross. Forget about Good Friday. No, I'm going to take Good Friday and I'm going to glorify Good Friday. The mm. worst event in human history is now something we hang on our rearview mirrors and on our necks. I mean, that's profound. Yes, that's not is. a God that just steps into the last minute and wipes away all of our pain and suffering. No, he takes your pain and suffering and he, he one-ups it. He says, I can use this for tremendous good. So he keeps the holes as a sign to say, look, the evil one, the thing that he thought was going to get me, the thing that everybody fears most, death, look, ha ha, here they are. There's a bunch of holes. What did they do? Take that, sucker. Yeah. I love that. I think it's great. I think that's awesome. That's I think it's profound. weirder than the fact that some guy wants to stick his fingers in there. Well, dude, this is the thing. is that We talked about this the other week. That, that Mr. Didymus. Mr. Diddy. Mr. Dude, it's it's Tom Diddy. Tom. <laughs> dude. Tom. Oh, Tom Diddy. How dude, come nobody's thought that? I, I don't know, man. Are you kidding me? Dude, Tom Diddy. Tom Diddy. I'm looking that up. <laughs> I'm doing a Google search. <laughs> So Tom Diddy is he was so down with Jesus. If you don't know what we're talking about, he is called Thomas Tom called Didymus. <laughs> called Didymus. Oh, Tom Diddy. Tom Diddy, man. Um I, I'm loving that. But Tom Diddy was like so down. He was like, I will die with you, Jesus. I mean, I mean the dude was loyal. Yeah. He was in it to win it. <laughs> There's a guy named Thomas Diddy on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Thomas. Okay, sorry. I'm sorry. Is, it, is it a rap name or anything? No, it's a store manager at the furnace wa- Furniture Warehouse showroom. <laughs> I love it. Sorry. Dude, Furniture Warehouse, man. Oh. It's the upper room. There's also another Tom Ziddy who's, Tom Z- Diddy who's a Xerox agent. <laughs> Have you heard of Xeroxing? It's the next big thing. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> just can't handle that. <laughs> I just... <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tom, right. Tom Diddy is P Diddy's cousin. <laughs> okay, sorry. Okay, so so <laughs> he said, "I'm gonna die with you, Jesus." I'm gonna die. The dude like went for it, and so yeah. he he was super loyal. And so when like just imagine you like missed out. But what's cool, is, like I mean, this is pretty significant. What was he doing? This is what I want to know. Well, there's a lot here. We didn't talk about the breathing on them. What is he? What is happening when he breathes on? Rua, pneumos. Now, didn't he already say? So he says, "Receive the Holy Spirit, Spirit, who sins you forgive are forgiven them; who sins you retain are retained." Didn't he also say those words at the Last Supper? You know what? I've I've recognized that he did that in the upper room that one time, but then now he did it in the upper room again. He did it again in the upper room. I mean, I I do know on one level he's he is speaking of of um, Pentecost. He's anticipating the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. Yes, among them in the upper room again, or, or wherever they are. Um, so he's anticipating what's what's about to come. But but this is pretty specific. But he is giving them this very specific authority, um, which he also gave them at the Last Supper. Yeah. Did he say it the same way? I think he did say it the same way at the Last Supper. I don't know. So he's doing it again. Or maybe this is John reiterating it for us, reminding us of this, this event having happened. Because we have to say, I mean, the, the beautiful thing about this passage for me, and then it goes on, you know, again, Thomas, he wasn't even there. Thomas's, sorry, Thomas's lack of um, uh, attendance Sorry, it was ironic. I just got a text as I was saying how Thomas wasn't there about Matt asking why I wasn't at Ariane with her. <laughs> it's ironic. No, oh. he didn't. He was saying it's okay. Um, but it was having to do with attendance. It is. Okay, here's my point, though. The fact that he wasn't there doesn't make him any less of an apostle. 
when Jesus appears and get, breathes his spirit, the disciples were sitting huddled in the room with the door locked, terrified of everything. And he chooses those guys to be the leaders of the church. Mm. The most unlikely people that you can imagine. Yeah. It doesn't actually take away from their priestly authority. If anything, it adds to it because in their weakness, God can actually step in and fill the gaps. Mm. And even in Thomas's not being there, it doesn't discount him. Again, the, these guys are the worst, but they are the apostles and they've been given the authority of the priesthood, the apostolic authority to pass on all the way to the likes of you. And I think if I was a priest, I'd be very comforted by that. Just to know that, again, it's, it's precisely in their weakness that Christ steps in and breathes his spirit. Mm. It's not about, this is the difference fundamentally between the New Testament priesthood and the Old Testament priesthood. The Old Testament priesthood was about them. It rested on them. It rested on their bloodline, their, their, their family line, their willingness to be a priest, their, their duties, all of these things. The New Testament priesthood um, it rests on Jesus's breath breathed upon you. Yeah. That's your priesthood. So every time that we fail or we fall short or we hear about bishops who do something stupid or whatever, it's okay because it's not about them. It's not all about us. And that's a really profoundly beautiful thing. And the fact that John goes into depth to point out how one of the 12 apostles, the foundations of the church, didn't even bother to be there when Jesus appears— tells you something about just the way the church thinks about itself. And then throws a hissy fit. And then he throws a hissy fit and has to put his fingers in the hole. And then Jesus is like, with you? and then Jesus is like, oh, okay, you want to throw a hissy fit? Come on. <laughs> it's true. But isn't that kind of beautiful? It is. It, it's, it's actually, it's, it's really, it's really human and, and yeah. profound. The bishop, interestingly enough, when he consecrates um, chrism, breathes on the chrism. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He does three breaths, and which is the chrismation in which all believers who receive the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And so th- there's actually a very, there's a deep imitation even a, yeah. in the sacramental life of this. Yeah, totally. And so it's good. Yeah. I wonder if they were celebrating the Eucharist in the upper room. I doubt it. Okay, so... Um, oh, no, I'm so, I, sorry. <laughs> so uh, we have an answer I, to that question. Well, I, the only reason I jump so quickly on that is I just don't think they get it yet. Jump on it. I don't think they understand yet. I don't either. Um, plus, it's only Sunday, which means they would have celebrated the Last Supper three then days the, prior. And then the next week. Y- what? Oh, yeah, and then, then the next week. You would like to hope that they were... But again, until the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost, I just don't think they get it. Yeah. Even when Peter is, or, or Thomas is allowed to put his finger into the wound of Christ, they get that Jesus has risen. They they get the profundity of what's happening, but they still huddle in the upper room because they're terrified to go out. They still don't fully get it. Yeah. I wonder if they were there most of the week. You get the sense that they were, don't you? It probably smelled kind of gross. In well, for, for the next 50 days even, maybe. Until the Holy Spirit actually does come. Well, no, I mean, Luke actually tells you that they do go out with Jesus. They go and watch him ascend into heaven. They do witness all those things. And then they go back. And Luke says they go back to the temple area. And they're singing and they were praising and they were worshiping. Kind of going on about their business. Again, not fully realizing what they've just experienced means for them. Until they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then they say, oh, we need, we need to go. We need to get out of here. We need to go. 
and do something about this. Yeah. Up until then, I think the gospel writers actually want to give you cabin fever. Because remember in Luke, I mean, it started, they go, they see Jesus rise up into the sky, and then they go back to the temple, and they just go back to their lives. And I think John, uh, Luke wants you a little frustrated by that so that he can come in with Acts of the Apostles and say, then while they were in the temple, while they were still kind of being insulated, the Spirit came and it sent them out. And I like the way, I just like the way that he does that because he wants to frustrate you with that. I think. Well, hopefully you got frustrated with this podcast because <laughs> we, we send you out. Out you go. And uh, go be sent. Do it. Misa ite misaiest. Yes, and pray to uh, our new saints. Oh, well, Saint don't John don't do it Paul Sunday. Second, pray for us pray if, for as this podcast is being played over and over again. Mm, I just record. I just record my prayers onto cassette tapes anymore, and just replay and them. just and just press play. <laughs> well, on that note, everybody, have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful <laughs> Divine Mercy Sunday. We will be back next week, hopefully not with an emergency episode. Blessed. Um, uh, Who's the other one? Um, John the 23rd. John the 23rd. I, I had numbers and Johns and stuff. Right? 23rd. Yep. John the 23rd. Pray for us. Saint and you guys are the best. Keep it real. See you next week. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week. <laughs>